Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. We are here every Saturday at 12 noon to promote and to defend public education. That is public education, which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. Our public schools have an open enrolment policy, not only for children, but for teachers, cleaners, administrators, bureaucrats, whoever it is uh, who wants to either enrol or have a job in them. They should be, for this reason, public in ownership and control. And above all, they should be the only ones that are publicly funded because they are the only ones that can possibly be publicly accountable. And for all of these reasons, our governments, our democratically elected governments, our so-called representative governments, our so-called responsible democratic governments should provide a first-rate public education for every child in this country. Well, we know they don't. We know that in Canberra we have people who tell us that we should have a user-pays system uh, at both the tertiary, secondary, primary and pre-primary level. That's what we're dealing with in Australia at the moment. Not just religious ideology, but market ideology. And we're here to cut across all that. Now, we're not the only ones. We are not actually the only country that is looking at a system which is broken, a system in which only 60% of our children are going to public schools and 40% are now in the user pay model Uh, and dealing with governments who want to make this even more the case and follow countries like Ireland and elsewhere where uh, you just have a private, basically a private system which is a religious one for only one religion, by the way. But, excepting in Dublin, I'm sorry, Chile. Chile has stopped state aid to private schools. Now, if you want to find out more about this, go to our website at www.adogs.info and look at our press release 591. Chile stopped state aid to private schools. The Chilean president, Michelle Bachelet, has ceased funding private schools to ensure funds go to those who need it most. 
All public funding to private schools has been redirected to disadvantaged public schools. Chilean President Michelle Bachelet announced a radical set of educational reforms last year that will dismantle the market-based approach in primary and secondary schooling. Due to the market structure imposed in the 1980s by Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, the education system is the most socio-economically segregated in the OECD. Well, don't worry, Australia's well on the way. Favouring private, for-profit schools with nearly 52% of enrolled students attending them. The same thing has occurred here in Australia, but it hasn't been imposed by a dictator. It's been done under our very noses. And listeners, if you objected to this, and the dogs have been objecting to it for 50 years, you were called sectarian by the sectarians. These Chilean reforms include the end of public funding to private for-profit schools to make all primary and secondary education free of charge and prohibit contested selective practices used in school admission processes. The Education Reform Bill is an upheaval of the system in order to change the benefits of education from being for an affluent minority to the deserving majority. These reforms are to be paid through new taxes on the wealthy and business. Well, we could do this in Australia just so easily if our multinational corporations paid their taxes. So why can't Australia do the same? It's one of the few countries in the OECD that publicly funds private schools. More than 40% of the Australian secondary children now attend private schools, either so-called independent or religious schools, and Australia has one of the most privatised school systems in the OECD. Prior to 1964, no private schools received any government funding whatsoever in this country. Well, that's not actually the case. They received it up in Queensland after 1899. While most OECD countries have a private school system, very few of them receive public funding. The Norwegian countries, Germany and the USA, and until some states introduced the voucher systems, don't fund private schools. Now, uh, where does this information come from? It comes from David Zingnia, the Senior Lecturer, Faculty of Education at Monash University, who um, he does receive funding from the IRC, the Australian Research Council, and he's also affiliated with the Centre for New Public Education, which is an interesting group if you look at their website. Uh, it is associated with Australian uh, youth and Our Children, Our Schools, OCOS, and Fairness in Religion in Schools, FIRAS. So he's a very interesting and very courageous academic. And uh, in his article in the conversation, he has some more information, which um, you can see if you go to that website. Uh, He also points out that in addition, pupils with disabilities in public schools receive $12,000 of extra support while those in private schools get over $30,000. Do private schools outperform public schools and is there any return on this public investment in private schools, David asks? 
We're told by him, and we know this too from our own research, that parents can spend up to $30,000 a year on private education. And according to the Australian Scholarship Group, the forecast cost of sending a child to private school in Melbourne is 504000 over 13 years of schooling after tax, in addition to the massive public subsidy that these schools receive. And a new analysis of the school NAPLAN test result shows that the results in like public schools are just as good as those in private schools. So that is why, as Robert has been telling you, the real estate values in certain suburbs have been skyrocketing. The once often presumed better results of private schools are in fact a myth because public schools are the equal of private schools uh, private schools, in fact, are very dependent upon the public schools. Uh, your school system uh, lead, always has to lead and um, you'll find that um, uh, if your public system goes down, then your private system will as well. Public, Catholic and independent schools with a similar socioeconomic composition have got very similar results. Another research found very similar results for the HSC in New South Wales. So if you're just looking at academic results, it probably isn't worth paying all that money for an elite private school. But we know, don't we, listeners, that the reason people pay all this money isn't just for academic results. It's for networking and it's for power. Power to get uh, the first-class job and um, ticket to a job and to heaven. Um, I'm not so sure about heaven, actually. Uh, the Independent Schools Victoria has been claiming that sending a child to a private school is actually a saving to the taxpayer of about $5,000 per student. Now, this is akin to the Automobile Chamber of Commerce suggesting that the use of private cars not only saves public money on public transport, but actually wanting their members to receive a subsidy on the purchase of their new Mercedes or BMW. Well, actually, I prefer a Volvo, thank you. I, I like to be that lady in the, in the Volvo that everybody swears at, but I just keep going at my speed. Similarly, no one believes that those choosing to use private toll roads should receive a subsidy for the use of the toll instead of driving on the public and free road system that their taxes have funded. The massive ongoing disparity in funding increases for public and private schools is a national disgrace and it's becoming very quickly a scandal. The learning needs of disadvantaged students are being ignored by the priority given to funding more privileged sections of the community. Unacceptably large percentages of low socioeconomic status, the Indigenous and remote area students do not achieve national standards in literacy and numeracy. There are huge achievement gaps between the rich and the poor schools. More than 80% of our low socioeconomic and Indigenous students are enrolled in public schools. And only the full implementation of the Gonski recommendations would ensure that we improve educational outcomes in our under-resourced public schools without additional drain on the budget bottom line. Given that there is an ever-shrinking tax base, we need a discussion about gradually reducing public funding to private schools by 25% every four years until it is zero. This should give these schools time to get their budgets in order. Prior to 1972, they were doing quite well without public support. 
Chile plans to present further legislation to Congress that would bring the country's public schools, currently run by local municipalities, under direct control of the Ministry of Education. The legislation would also establish a national teaching policy and make higher education free to all but the richest families. On the signing of the Education Reform Bill, President Bachelet said, Today, we are fulfilling what we promised Chile, to begin a process of deep transformation of our education system, which will ensure quality, gratuity, integration and an end to profit-making in education. Because she believes that it's not fair that the resources of the Chilean people, the Chilean people themselves, their children, instead of enriching our education, instead enriches private individuals. If only we could get that sort of commitment to Australia's political leaders. But don't worry, we're working on it. Now, some of the... um, some of the answers to this uh, Zingmia article in the conversation are very interesting. There's one by William DeMott, a professor of biology at the Indiana Purdue University in Fort Wayne, Indiana in the United States. He points out that this is the same problem that's occurring in many American states because the Republicans are favouring school choice which allows public funding of vouchers for individual students who want to attend charter schools, parochial schools or other private schools. And this is expanding rapidly in states with legislatures controlled by the GOP and it's clearly taking money from the public schools, causing an underfunding, especially of urban and rural schools. This competition is supposed to improve public schools through competition for students. However... Many of the charter schools are scoring worse than the public schools themselves and a lot of money is going to fund tuition for well-off parents who would have paid from their own funds. And as well as that, there's a student welfare worker uh, who's writing to William uh, against William DeMott. He says... Um, It's ironic and hypocritical, though, isn't it, when conservatives generally call for less government involvement in social programs. Uh, Well, actually, that's backing him up, isn't it? And um, the the Andrew Watkins, a neonatologist, in reply to a gentleman who was um, against uh, the giving of or taking away of the um, money from the private schools, um, says that well-established pattern of behaviour with corporate welfare, superannuation, private health insurance subsidies, etc., is quite difficult to get uh, rid of, especially when it involves getting their own snouts further into the trough. So uh, we find this very interesting and thought that our listeners would be interested to find out that Australia might be just a wee bit peculiar. Well, now we'll have a quick break and then we'll go to our roving reporter, Robert, and a little bit of music just now. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. 
all profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. Just 25 bucks each. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $190 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Cavalier, 
Welcome back to the Dogs program. You're listening to Dogs on 3CR 855 AM. And that was Herman Prey playing Figaro. And now we'll have a chat to Rob. Hello, Robert. Oh, hello. Uh, hello, Jean. How are you going? Pretty good. I've just been telling our listeners about Chile. They have just stopped funding private schools over there. Um, and uh, Pinochet, since the 80s, has been building up the private system. And uh, Zingnia from out Monash Way, we, we're finding, is suggesting that we should do the same here. Uh, just reading from oh, an article in... Of course we should, Of course we should. Reading from an article in the, in the conversation here, he reckons that we should um, reduce public funding to private schools by 25% every four years until it's zero. Because he points right. out that prior to 1972, they were doing quite well without public support. Well, it was prior to oh, 1964, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, if you have a particular belief and you want to send your child to a school that mirrors the belief that you have, have, have within your family and you want to send that child for six hours for five days a week to a place that doesn't teach them anything that contradicts their religious values or cultural values, then go for your life. But I'm not going to subsidise it. <laughs> well, I must admit that I, I have some friends who believe in creationism, but they, no school will fit them, so they just teach their children at home. They're prepared to put their money and their time where their mouth is there. But um, no, they are actually there are free some to do that. that teach creationism, Jane. I think you'll find there are some schools around that are publicly funded that are quite happy to teach, teach creationism as science, which is quite uh, disturbing. Oh, the other well. disturbing thing is, of course, you can't, you can't actually get the figures on this because those, those are the figures that you can't get hold of because it defends their religious liberties to have to tell you about them, even though they get government funding to do it. 
Yes, 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 yes. Well, uh, uh, you're probably more more au fait with what goes on with a lot of schools than we are, Robert. But um, oh, indeed, I'm very indeed. interested in what's happening with um, the school results on on NAPLAN, whether or not we are getting facts and figures that we should take uh, notice of. Well, it's quite it's quite difficult to get hold of facts and figures because, as I've mentioned on the Dutch program in the past. Oh, hello, Dale. How are you going? Sorry, I should say hello. I'm, right. I'm the roving reporter today. <laughs> That's all right. Continue. I, I, I'm, I, I'm out roving and reporting and, and gathering facts and results so our listeners can remain informed about what's going on in education at the moment. And um, there's been an interesting analysis of what this whole sort of NAPLAN come my school situation is. It was set up in 2010, you probably recall, the My School website. So yes, by, um, by Gillard, yes. By mm. Julia Gillard. And the idea was, well, a very simple idea, Christopher Pine would have improved. It was about the idea of competition. If results of schools are published um, so that everyone can see them, then schools will then compete to get better results because competition solves all problems. But the thing is, it's not 2010 anymore, it's now 2015, and the My School website has actually failed. It's now been found to have failed dismally in its main objective, which was to improve school results. Because <laughs> reading, writing and numeracy test scores have actually just largely stagnated or indeed fallen since the website was established. Well, how can a um, website improve anything? All it does is give you information. How can information improve anything? It's teachers and it's resources that improve children's learning. Oh, dear, oh dear, Jean. <laughs> We're living in the 21st century. You should know that information is everything. Information is a product. It's a product of the competitive marketplace. Oh, my goodness, Jean. Well, I've got oh, here an on. article from the age on March the 5th that says tech plus good teaching equals NAPLAN success. And I'm reading here about a very successful public school in Hearn Bay where every student in grade three to six at the Geelong School has their own iPad which is loaded with animated numeracy and literacy apps and they're going uh, great guns out there. So how can you say that it's... Well, the NAP plan wasn't... You don't expect a, a website to... Well... There's a teacher. See, there's a teacher here together with all this tech stuff. There's a person. Well, you see, the, I, I think the idea is that you turn schools into businesses, and if schools are businesses, then they have to produce some sort of product in the marketplace. And the product in the marketplace that the business of the school happens to be, of course, is their result. But of course, it just hasn't worked because I, 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 I mean, I'm sure you know this, Jean. I'm just sort of, I don't mean to patronise anyone, but a school is is, is not a business. School is something very different, and as you've just been discussing, I think, about what's going on in Chile, um, if you stuff it up, the population, the population <laughs> revolts and say, hang on, that, that's not what education is all about. In Australia, we haven't quite got to that point, but I'll tell you what, there's lots of evidence that suggests that we should be getting there quite soon. Just a minute, if a school's a business, what on earth are the children? Are they the product? Well, the children... Oh, the children. Oh, no, the, the children are the stakeholders and the customers, apparently. If you listen to Christopher Pine these days, talking about competition being I, the I only I thought they were the parents. I thought the only ones that mattered in this were the parents and the parents' choice. Forget about the children. Oh, my God. Look, well, look, the, the whole thing goes round in many circles. I think we can actually stop talking about free market theology when it comes to education because just because our federal education minister and, and indeed our state education minister seems to view it that way doesn't mean it's actually true. It doesn't mean it's true at all. 
But um, I've just been having a look at what uh, Trevor Cobalt's been doing up in Canberra as part of the Save Our Schools website. He's a, he's a very industrious fellow. He's been through the figures. And he's gone back to 2010 when Julia Gillard, who at that time was the Education Minister, not the Prime Minister, said that my school was an important step for the government's education, a revolution. Remember, there's a revolution. Yeah. Um, it provided unprecedented transparencies to help him drive vital improvement, drive improvement by by creating a competitive atmosphere. Now, it was expected back then that the publication of school results would actually encourage competition between schools and improve results. However, between then and now, my school has been operating for six years and there's actually little sign of promised improvement in student results. And I've got a theory as to why this is the case, Jen. I, I do have a theory, and I think it relates to what's, what, what's just come out in the press in the last week. The Australian Education Union here in Victoria has put an ad in, in, in the age, a full-page ad. They coughed up for that. And do you know what it said, Jane? How long do kids in the public schools have to wait for Gonski? It's a very good ad. Lovely little girl on the front in a, in a state school uniform. When Victoria signed up for Gonski in 2013, it says, I've got it here, it was cause oh, for okay. celebration because Gonski meant additional funding for schools that really needed it. It gave teachers the right resources to meet the learning needs of each child and support those at risk of falling behind. But the private schools are receiving the extra funding, but public schools have missed out. So in this case, what's happening usually is the private schools have got to be paid off first and a few crumbs might come through to the pub to the public schools but in the case of Victoria Robert the public schools aren't even getting any crumbs at all and the teachers union is telling us about it and this is a Labor Party that promised us it was going to be a great education revolution down here in Victoria you can't take them seriously absolutely ridiculous it's abs- you cannot take them seriously. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we've got what something like said, the Gare government in Queensland down here in Victoria again, uh, the DLP. It's not a Labor government. It's a, it's a DLP government by the sound of things. Well, I don't know. They seem very interested in making sure the private schools get their money because yep. the private schools are very interested in getting it. Now, I'm just going to follow this through because what the state government has done, what the Premier, Daniel Andrews, has done, and, of course, with, with, with the collusion or the... Um, cooperation of his education minister is that they've guaranteed that for every dollar, every dollar that a state school gets for a student with disadvantage or has a disability, then 25 cents has to go to a corresponding private school. So that 25 cents sort of bonus goes to the private schools. That's already been locked in, but the dollar hasn't been, the dollar hasn't been given to the state school. Oh, if the now, dollar hasn't been given to the state school, then... How can they then give 25 cents to the private school? Well, I think, <laughs> I, I think you and I both know, Jane, the 25 cents will get... It's already gone. The dollar goes out. Yeah. It's already gone. In fact, one of the very first things that the Andrews government did, one of the very first things that they did when they got... Was to give them $120 million. Give them, give them $120 million And then the 25 cents on top of that for every child. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, 25 cents. Now, let's talk about that 25 cents, because I can hear some economists going out there saying, well, that would save us money, wouldn't it, Gene, if we give 25 <laughs> cents to a kid in a private school and we give a dollar to a kid in a state school. Since when? Isn't that saving the taxpayer money? Listen, I'll since when did you save money by duplicating facilities? Oh, no, it's even worse than that, Jen, because the 25 cents goes to a disadvantaged child in a private school that doesn't exist. No. Because over 80% of students with disadvantage and disabilities are actually enrolled in the state school system. 82%. Proudly 82%. 82%. 82%. That's right. So these students with disabilities and these students with disadvantage in the private school, which the money is supposed to be going to, don't actually exist. They're not there. Money is going to the private school to fight to play to pay for the education of students that don't exist. That is just straight up out and out waste of money. Absolute waste of money. As the AEU said, I mean, I'm going to quote from their from their press release, they said guaranteeing funding for non government schools while public school students are still waiting widens the inequity gap in our system. The Gonski funding model was designed to do the opposite. It was designed to actually close this gap. Now, the AEU has held out an olive branch to Andrews and said, oh, it's not too late. You can just change your mind and get rid of all this stuff. But I think the chances of the Andrews government taking on the Catholic Church and the Catholic Education Office and the independent schools and Mr. Mr. Green and Mr. Elder, I think that's very, very unlikely. I think the, the Labor Party here in Victoria have locked themselves in to entrenching disadvantage in education. Now, if, if, and, and you know... Let's, let's Aren't just, you glad that you voted it. Green then? Did you vote? I hope you didn't vote Labor. Oh, in, uh, well, <laughs> I, I vote in the electorate of Melbourne, Jane. Yeah, we've got a Green and, uh, candidate. Well, we do now, and I, I was wondering whether I was going to vote Green or vote Labor, or indeed mm. vote Liberal. He was a candidate. I actually met him. He's quite a nice fellow. But then it turned out that the Catholic Education Office sent me a letter and told me that under no circumstances should I vote for the Greens. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a contrarian. I thought, oh, well, I'd better vote for them. Hey, just a minute, how did you get hold of the letter? Since when did you uh, <laughs> now we're Now we're finding out you must have some interesting friends that you have coffee with. I do. I'm, 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 the do- I'm your dog's <laughs> raving reporter. I'm out and about. Getting, getting all sorts of information. It's all rather interesting. Yes. But I, I just want to tell listeners what, ha- what actually happens with this money. If the government gives money to a private school and that private school doesn't have a student that needs it, what do they do with all this excess surplus money? Because it's just washing around the private school system. Um, they've got too much. The state schools, of course, haven't got their money yet at all. Oh, build another so swimming Build another swimming pool. Just another swimming pool. Just what well, we need. Inter- just what they need. Interesting you say that. It's interesting you say that because Dr John Kay in New South Wales has done a very interesting analysis about because in New South Wales they have a very similar problem. He's done an analysis of, of where all this money goes. And, in fact, he's identified 62 elite private schools in New South Wales that redirect all of $85 million worth that is given to them by the New South Wales government supposedly to bring down fees for these elite schools. But they don't bring down the fees, Jane. They build stuff. They build luxurious new buildings and and, and, and facilities. Now, only 30% in New South Wales of $270 million, which is given to them by the New South Wales government 
Commonwealth governments, um, provided to these 60 schools, only 30% of it is actually spent on teaching kids. But the Piccoli... Piccoli... 70%, yeah, the other 70%, which is about $189 million per year, Mm. was diverted to capital works. Mm. Now, one Mm. of these schools, a very interesting school called St Catherine's in Waverley, actually lodged a $62.5 million development application for the major redevelopment, including a new aquatic centre and a state-of-the-art professional-grade lyric theatre. Now, Dr Kay says, and I quote, public funding that is supposed to be spent on bringing down private school fees is being used to build new luxurious facilities. Now, the effect of much of the state and central funding going to wealthy non-government schools is to fatten up their buildings and facilities and then consequently make the fees more. Mm. Now, it's time, the honesty was about this sort of things going on since Dr. Kane did New South Wales, but I would point out, even down here in Victoria, we haven't got an ICAC, but that doesn't mean we're not corrupt. Even down here in Victoria, there's a particular school that's decided to spend $50 million on buying up a pretty much half a city block to build an inner city private school. When we want that block for and where a did they get that money public from? school. Well, guess what? If, if, no, they got money from you, Jane, because you pay tax. You're paying for that. Yes, I I'm do, actually. Yes, I do pay quite yeah. a high tax rate. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So you are sitting there paying for a new private school to buy up half a city block worth $50 million so they can open a new school because the money we've given that to them, they haven't spent on bringing the fees down, not at all. They spent the money on building up their capital so that they can charge even more. And there's another school, Wesley College, that wants wants to buy the old deaf school, which um, Merlino was promising to Pran High School. So uh, instead of getting a Docklands High School or a New North Melbourne High School and a Paran High School, which has been promised um, in the inner city, we're going to get two uh, ext- or an, an octopus extension of very, very expensive and wealthy private schools. That's what's happening. That's choice for you. Um, That's choice. We are... We are turning into Chile. We are turning into Chile before their education revolution. It, it, that, that is the only way that Andrews has taken with you in Victoria. Some people are going to get very, very grumpy when they wake up one day and realise that the state school system doesn't exist as a universal education system anymore. You will not, at some point in the very near future, if Andrews and, 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 and the Labor government down in Victoria continue what they're doing, People will wake up, there won't be a school around the corner, there'll only be a nice one with a really nice pool that you have to pay a lot of money for, mm. and that's it. Okay. And at that point, the people of Australia are going, hang on, what happened? Mm-hmm. And all the sort of silliness about, oh, well, privatised education is better, and competition is good. They say, no, 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 we just want our kids to have a good education because we love them very much. And we can't afford to send our child to a ridiculously expensive school. Where's the good public school? People are starting to wake up now. It's a, it's a very simple equation, in, in my mind. It's a very simple equation. There are people out there who quite happily and probably quite morally send their child to a private school. If the state school down the road is better equipped, if the state school down the road delivers a gold standard of education, if the state school down the road has brilliant, well-resourced and well-trained teachers and it's better than their school, and their paying fees, at the moment, they get extraordinarily resentful. 
They don't think that's fair. Things will only change, and they really will only change, when if the state school down the road is significantly better than the private school that they're paying their money to, um, if what their decision is not to get angry and say that's not fair, but their decision is to actually send their child to that school because they actually appreciate the values of a free, universal, secular education that's offensive to none. And at some point, at some point, I think you'll find that the economic realities will mean that we can no longer afford, we can literally no longer afford to have a privatised education system that's parasitic on a public system that's trying its best to deliver the best of all possible outcomes. This is already happening in inner city Sydney. They are actually building new schools in New South Wales. Um, yes. It's also actually happening over in Perth, excepting a lot of the new schools over there are private-public partnerships and could well be um, so-called independent public schools. But um, in Victoria, I think, People are only just starting to wake up. But the really good news is that there's some very interesting groups on who have their own websites um, who are interested in public education. And, um, of course, we have our Save Our Schools group in Canberra as well, as well as the dogs. Yes, it's, uh, we're living in very interesting times indeed. But the chilly story is fascinating. Things go too far. My thesis has always been, if you look at it historically... Uh, the private people, the wealthy and uh, the wealthy religious groups, they become too greedy and they become too well, proud. My mother always used to say that pride comes before a fall. Uh, well, I, think I think that we're living in a very interesting uh, interim period. Mm. Well, I'd just like to sign off by quoting a fellow called Jeff Masters, who's the head of the Australian Council of Educational Research. Um, he's been doing this for quite some time. And I think even he is coming round to the dog's perspective because he recently said that competition and accountability regimes have proved ineffective in raising school performance around the world. He says that the lessons from this and other research is Australia should look beyond failed competition and test-based accountability processes for ways to improve school performance and reduce achievement gaps between the rich and the poor. Um, he says, and I, I think this is very, this is highly um, uh, pertinent to our discussion, certainly in terms of funding. He says another feature of high-performance systems from around the world is they have put in place system-wide processes to identify students who are falling behind and to intervene quickly to put students back on track. And these successful countries set high expectations for every student's learning, not just the students in private schools, every student's learning. Successful countries, he says, also focus on improving performance across entire education systems. They do this by ensuring that resources, that is money, teachers and leaders, are equitably distributed across all schools and the resources are targeted according to student need. And that is exactly what we are not doing. That is exactly what Andrews has, has stopped doing by making sure that all this money is going to students in private schools that don't exist. <laughs> these, these disadvantaged students in high fee paying schools. Like, the Methodist Ladies College is getting extra bonus money guaranteed from the government to educate students who are disadvantaged and, 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 and who have disability. Now, I can tell you that the Methodist Ladies College does have some students which are are disabled and disadvantaged. Six percent. Six percent at the most. 
Six percent of the and, most. And, 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 they, and they're very happy to have them because it makes them feel as though in some way that they're fulfilling their, I think fundamentally, because they're a Methodist ladies' college, uh, their, their Christian mission. That I just think it's an absolute waste of money. And Andrews has done the wrong thing. The Australian education is perfectly, perfectly within their rights to point this out. The interesting Stop thing, them. Robert, is no, that no, the... No, no. The Liberal Party up in in New South Wales thinks that the Labor Party down here have done the wrong thing too. The Piccoli from the Country Party in New South Wales is very annoyed at what the Labor Party down here have done with the Gonski money. The problem is that the Gonski money, which was promised to our state schools uh, from Canberra, hasn't got to them. It's not there. Napthine got rid of it. We don't know what's happened to it, but it's there for the private schools. The private schools have got it thanks to probably um, Mr Dixon last year, um, but it's oh, yeah. disappeared. It's not there for oh, the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh there's, oh, there's a fair amount of money sloshing around the private school system. I can, I can guarantee you that right now. <laughs> the, 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 the myth of poor private schools. <laughs> I, like, no. I like the image of it sloshing around. <laughs> In, in their swimming pools, <laughs> around their, their hanging gardens. <laughs> there, are, there are rich private schools that are well organised and there are rich private schools that are poorly organised, but there ain't no poor ones. I <laughs> anyway, Jane, I'm going to have to sign off. I'm, I'm going to have to do some more research and I'll be calling in next week as our roving correspondent for the Defence of Government Schools. And I, I, I do wish that our listeners would catch up with us. Um, if they're interested in, in all this information, of course, they can check us out on our website at www.adogs.info. But I'm um, Dale and, and Jane. Um, I'll, I'll call you in next week, and uh, good luck with the rest of the show, and, and, and hello, dear listeners. <laughs> See you, Rob. Bye. 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 Listeners, we've got a few moments before we say goodbye, and I'd like to refer you to a book that's recently been published. It's by Richard Teese, and it's called For the Common Wheel, the public high school in Victoria, 1910 to 2010. And it's been published by um, Scholarly Publishing here in North Melbourne. You can go up to North Melbourne Scholarly Publishing and buy it, I think, for about $40. And it's well worth the effort. If only you read Chapter 1, Why a History of the Public High School. I'll read you some of it because Richard Teese is going back to the reason why we have a public system in the first place. It is for the common Wheel for the common good. We here in Australia live, live in a common wealth. We are here together and we should work together. And when we pay taxes, it is for the common good. The history of the public high school for Richard Teese is the history of social access to knowledge and of the growth of knowledge itself. And the public high school has played a major role in the wider diffusion of knowledge and in the education of the thinkers who have expanded our understanding of the natural and the human worlds. Spreading knowledge and seeding it with new generations of thinkers are fundamental to our economic and social organisation. And the high school 
through its breadth of intake, near universal availability and demonstrable impact on the educational attainment of the population, has greatly deepened the social pool of talent on which the progress of knowledge and its applications depend. Without a history of the high school, we are at risk of ignoring the part played by this institution in the social dissemination of knowledge. But we are also at risk of ignoring the limitations in its performance as a democratic institution of learning, and thus the need and the opportunity to improve performance. This risk is heightened in Australia by the presence of private schools, which make up a large publicly funded sector and which outperform many public schools on institutional measures, such as exam results and tertiary entrance scores, if not on national standardised tests. So, Richard Teese has begun his history with the proposition that the social diffusion of knowledge distinguishes the public high school from the private and religious schools. Like public secondary schools, they too are replete with young scholars. So it cannot be true that they have no role in the diffusion of knowledge. What is contentious is whether they play a positive role in the social diffusion of knowledge, that is, in widening social access to the most highly valued forms of human knowledge. And this is not only a matter of which students the private schools recruit, but what impact their recruitment and their performance have on the education of children in the public sector. Private schools, Richard Teese argues in his book, fail the test of inclusiveness because of the narrowness of their intakes and the academic impact that highly resourced but segregated establishments make on public schooling. There's a further reason for viewing their influence in negative terms. While very well resourced from fees, private schools receive large grants from government. This diverts education funding away from high-need schools in the public system and thus undermines the teaching effort in these schools. And this in turn leads to a spiralling flight from public schools and strengthens the underlying social demand for selective schooling. It creates anxiety at the same time as ministering to it. So, in an age of growing income inequality, private schools are a welcome industry because their business is the production of academic power. Their business model is quite different from the past when they had few high schools to contend with and had only to conduct themselves with the gentlemanly decorum of a club. Even as late as 1982, the Headmasters Conference of Independent Schools reminded its members that they should not poach students from other schools, but that they needed reminding was clear enough evidence that the ancien regime of exclusive provision was giving way to a new order. Instead of having the supply of places reserved to an elite, as government had effectively done in the 20s and 30s of the last century, the task facing socially advantaged families became one of excelling over the quality of academic performance in the newly emerging schools of mass secondary education. 
the need to excel academically turned the old grammar schools into new businesses. And it's the impact of this unequal competition that has proved fatal to the wider social diffusion of knowledge. For it has meant using all means available, from poaching to over-resourcing to block the aspirations of families of lesser means by limiting the quality of performance of the schools that they use. And the curriculum has proved to be a willing servant in this endeavour, for while the Victorian Certificate of Education was designed to be inclusive and enrols most young people completing school, it's also used by institutions to differentiate between students because the curriculum is a hierarchy of hard and soft options. So it goes on like this, and he draws a parallel with the ancien regime of Europe. To adapt the language of Lefebvre, an excess of means concentrated in the hands of the socially most advantaged families reduces the rights of other families to a mere semblance. An academic dominance fortifies the social boundaries that have to be jumped to access the higher forms of learning. How better to oppose the jumped-up kitchen porters of Oakshot's nightmare than by driving up marks to the point of rendering the curriculum uninhabitable? Denial of means was yesterday a matter of poor provision. In 1947, there were only seven high schools in Melbourne with matriculation classes, Today, denial of means operates through dropout, curriculum relegation and high failure rates among socially disadvantaged students. The pursuit of academic excellence or domination to give the word the full orchestration of its roots extinguishes any claim that private schools might make of educating the poor. In fact, the very opposite is the case because private schools erect social barriers to the sharing of knowledge rather than removing them. In doing so, they deliver a blow to the growth of knowledge itself for they constrict the supply of talent to science and scholarship by denial of means to the poor. And then he goes on. Dissemination of the faith does not equal the social diffusion of knowledge, except, of course, in society there is no school but a seminary of believers, because the faith of a community does not protect it from the action of its schools. Faith schools are no less worldly for the faith that inspires them. I'd like to end with a quote from a 17th century Jewish heretic philosopher, a man called Spinoza, very interesting philosopher who was given a very hard time, not just by the Christians, but also by his own Jewish community. And Spinoza is used by Tees to illustrate what is actually happening to the religious schools or the religious people in our community that are using the schools to prevent the social diffusion of knowledge. A thing is called sacred and divine when it is designed for promoting piety, and it continues sacred so long as it is religiously used. But if the users cease to be pious, 
the thing itself ceases to be sacred. If it be turned to base uses, that which was formerly sacred becomes unclean and profane. In 1979, the religious people of Australia took 26 days in a trial of facts in the Dogs High Court case and tried to prove that their schools were no less religious than state schools. Although the dogs lost the case, they proved the point. The religious people in Australia had sold their soul for public money. for now.